Thank you, Devin. And thank you, Meredith, for leading our worship this morning uh, and talking with your mom. I have known about your academic achievements a little bit. I should have known you could sing and lead music as well. So way to go. Well, good morning, Grace Hills Church. How many of you are excited that it's Sunday? A few of you who actually were honest. Thank you. I appreciate No, I'm just kidding. Great that you are here on a Sunday. For those of you that are retired, how many of you used to get excited when it was Monday and time to go to work? And that's kind of what I thought. How many of you would get excited, though, when it was Friday and you knew this was the last day of the work week? Okay, a few of us. Yeah, I know how that, that can go, right? It's kind of kind of how that works. You know, I was recently doing some research on the Internet just to see what people get excited about. And what's amazing is, is to see that and discover, like, wow, they get excited about that. And I'm sure if they were to look at my life, they'd go, well, you get excited about that? But what caught my attention the most was not what people get excited about, uh, even though there were many videos that were entertaining on YouTube that I looked at. But there was one video on YouTube that particularly caught my attention. And it was not what people got excited about. Rather, it was what some milk cows got excited about. And so I want you to watch this video of these happy milk cows right here. It's Tuesday the 3rd of April and it's 10 a.m. And I'm about to let the cows out for the first time this year. You see, I've just called them. They're all quite excited. They're all coming to the gate. So I'm going to open the gate now. Try not to get run over. They are quite excited. They know what's going on. So let's get these cows out in the field for the first time this year. I'm running not get run over. Ooh. Look how excited they are. It's like a stampede. So for those of us that grew up on the farm, uh, as I did my first few years of life, uh, we have appreciation for cows getting excited. Uh, here's what I want to do. I want to take that idea there, that metaphor, and work it into today's text of Scripture. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 is what we're going to be looking at in the moments I have with you this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. If you have a Bible, I invite you to pull it out. If you got a flat screen, maybe you just, for, oh, I forgot my Bible. Well, guess what? I put the two verses today uh, on your notes. And if you have your notes, I invite you to take those out. Uh, I apologize. I forgot to get them hole punched. If you are the person that says, I got to have my notes hole punched, there's a hole punch that I brought in, and it's coming to church today on the front row. So help yourself to that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. This is the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus given, and he comes to this. And he says in verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These verses are talking about 
persecution. Our topic for today is I've entitled my message, Standing with the Persecuted Church. Notice if you have a Bible, this is why it's great to have a Bible with you and have this open. If you go up to verse 10 and notice what Jesus says here right before verses 11 and 12. He says this, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says blessed or happy, the word makarios, which is the word for blessed that we get there, could be also translated happy, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And in verse 11, he says blessed are those who are happy or blessed who are persecuted on account of Jesus. Your relationship, your identity with Christ, that you are standing with him and that he is your savior. And so this morning, what I want to invite us to do as a church is to stand with the persecuted church, to, to, to be aware of them. I don't know if you knew this or not, but this Sunday, today, November 13th, 2016, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And if you're into that and know about that, you might say, hey, Bill, I think that's true, but it's also true that last Sunday, November 6th, was also the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. And I would say, man, way to go. You're, you're tracking with that. Yes, that's true. And so really, the last Sunday and this Sunday and through the week has been an opportunity for us as a church or for Christians around the world to pray for their brothers and sisters in Christ who are enduring persecution. And so that's what we're focusing on today as well because of this being a special day to remember them. And so that we might do that, what I want to do this morning is I have kind of two goals in mind and a hope. My first goal is to remind you of what Jesus says about persecution, to remind you what, what does the Bible have to say about it. The second goal I have is to help us learn, help us be educated, maybe updated on what's going on with the persecution of the church around the world. And then my hope is that what we look at today will encourage you so that should you encounter a lie that's said about you or an insult towards you because you're a Christian or face some sort of persecution that you would be encouraged knowing what Jesus says about that. And so those are the goals and that's the hope I have. And to do that, I have five questions I want to present to you. Five questions to help us work through this text this morning. Here's the first question. What does Jesus say the believer's response should be to insults, persecution, and lies? Go back to verse 12, the first part of it. He says, rejoice and be glad. So the answer that Jesus gives us here is what does he say the believer's response, a Christian's response should be to insults, persecution, and lies? Makes it very clear, rejoice and be glad. The Greek word for joy is hiero, and, it, and, and, and the Greek word for glad is agaliao. Why do I bring those Greek words up? Well, it's when you put them together, as they are here in verse 12, when you put those two Greek words together, you can join them together and you can translate these words this way, to jump and skip with happy excitement. To jump and skip with happy excitement. In other words, rejoice and be glad like happy milk cows. Going out to pasture for the first time of that year. They've been on silage, they've been on some hay, and this is the opportunity they have to go out and have that fresh, luscious, green pasture that awaits them. 
And you could see how excited they got. That's the idea of why I bring out these two Greek words and what this could be translated like is to jump and skip with happy excitement. Now, I'm guessing that some of you are a little older than me and you might go, you know, it's been a while, Bill, since I've jumped and skipped. Well, maybe you can at least do it in your heart. And the attitude of what Jesus is talking about would allow you in your soul to go, I can jump and skip because of what Jesus is saying here. I can understand that. I can grasp that. And actually, this words right here, the, 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 the uh, rejoice and be glad in the Greek is also, it's an, what we call an imperative, and that means it's a verbal command. So if you're on the side of the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, and you were there listening to it, you would hear, oh, he's using the words that in, means that this is a command he's giving me. He's not just saying it out there as, hey, this would be a great idea. He's actually telling those that in his listen, who are listening to him, this is what you are to do. So that's the layout here that he's brought this out. In other words, persecuted believers are commanded to rejoice and be glad, to jump and skip with happy excitement. Sounds a little crazy if you think about what this topic is in that of persecution, which leads to our next question I want to present to you. Why should the believer being persecuted because of Christ rejoice and be glad? Why should they do that? What's the reason behind that? Well, look at back at verse 12. So Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, a verbal command that he's giving us. For, here's the reason, your reward in heaven is what? Great. Your reward in heaven is great. That's the reason why the believer being persecuted in Christ should, can rejoice and be glad. can jump and skip with happy excitement. You know, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, when I think about uh, laying up for myself treasures in heaven, when I think about being rewarded in heaven, I don't think of receiving a reward from enduring people insulting me <laughs> on account of Christ or persecuting me because I'm a follower of Christ or lying about me because I follow Jesus. I don't think of it that way initially. But when I read this verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 here up on the screen, that says, and you're familiar with this, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I don't think I've ever concluded that the answer could be by enduring persecution to the question, how can I store up treasures in heaven? Are you with me? It's not what you normally think of, but this is clearly what Jesus is teaching. And here's something else to, that's even a little bit more crazy in my mind. Jesus guarantees a reward, but not just any reward. How does he say the reward is, how does he describe the reward here? What is the word he used? The one word. You, I heard, you already said it. You can repeat yourself now. Great. Thank you for the one person who did that. So your reward in heaven is what? Great. Your reward in heaven is what? You need to understand that he's not just saying your word in heaven, it's, it's okay. You, you might get around to liking it eventually. No, he is saying here, your reward in heaven is great. It is great. It is unbelievably great. And we need to grasp here what he's saying, because if it's not great, then what's the point of enduring insults and persecution and lies to think that up and to process that you know i would submit to you that god knows something about great 
According to Scripture, he is the great almighty God. For when I look out and I see what he's created, I'd say that is a creation that is great, that can only come from a great God. I can't create. He's the one who's great, right? There's only one. So when Jesus uses a word like great to describe our reward for patiently enduring persecution, I think it would be wise for us to to take notice, to pay attention. In other words, to rejoice and be glad, to even jump and skip with happy excitement. And after all, this is the word of what? This is the word of God. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, speaking here. And this is his authority that comes forth and says, this is going to be great. And this word of God to his disciples, of whom most will drink the cup of martyrdom. You know, that's 2,000 years ago. But what about on November 13th, 2016? That's today, in case you didn't know what day it was. That's today. What about today? Well, how about the rest of the the word of God to others? Such as it goes, if you look up on the screen, there's a map. This map depicts the 100 million people, 100 million Christians facing persecution today around the world. Facing persecution, facing insults, facing lies said about them. On this, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, it's important for us to realize that persecution is real. That it's happening right now while we sit in here. And that we stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering because of their great faith and devotion to Christ. To help us grasp and learn just a little bit more, as I said, the second goal of this today was to educate, to update us. I'd like you to watch this short video, just to take this in. should have an insert that looks like this. I invite you to take a moment right now and sit down maybe your note sheet or Bible or whatnot and pull this out. So as the map comes back up on the screen, that's the map that you see there is this map here. And what you have here is the world's watch list put out by Open Doors, a ministry that works towards supporting those who are persecuted. On the list here on the right, you'll see up at the top, it lists the country 
And this is a list of the top 50 countries in the world right now enduring persecution for their faith. You can look at the statistics from the score from 2016 and then a comparison to that in 2015. If you look down at the bottom where the circle is, you'll see the legend there that describes what those uh, symbols mean. If you go to the back side of it, you'll see the world watch list background and trends. Just some info on there, a little bit more about that. And then at the bottom, if you have a pen, if you're the note-taking type, I invite you to take a, your pen and circle opendoors.org. Opendoors.org. If you go to the internet, uh, I would encourage you to go visit this website to look up. And what you can do is you can look up any of these 50 countries listed right here and get more information. You can get the details of what's really going on with that particular country and gives you up-to-date information. So that's a, a resource that's there. And there's other information. If you still have that pen out, you're writing down, uh, I would encourage you to write these letters down. I-D-O-P. I-D-O-P dot org dot o-r-g idop is stands for international day of prayer so idop.org and uh they have some resources more information the last one i encourage you to write down is persecution.com 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 and this you might be a little bit more familiar with for those of you who've ever received the magazine or seen the magazine voice of the martyrs so Persecution.com is the publisher of that magazine. You can receive it. You can read that. You can get uh, more articles and testimonies of people uh, and what they're enduring. So I just wanted to provide that to you today as a goal to just help you be updated, help you learn a little bit about the persecuted church. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 13.3, it says, Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. That's what the Bible tells us to do. To remember those in prison as if you were there with them. And to remember those that are being mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering the same, the same trial with them. And I think to myself, how can I do this? How can I actually live out this verse? Three ways. One way is what we're doing. We're studying scripture. We're looking into God's word. God, what do you say in your word about persecution? What's the believer's response to this? We're looking at that. A second way is to inform or educate ourselves to learn a little bit about the persecuted church. To take a day at least once a year and go, I just need to pull the car over and, and, and know what's going on. Be clued into my brothers and sisters in Christ who you're going to be spending a long time with in eternity, right? To know that. And then the last a way I think that we can live out this verse is by praying. Praying for the persecuted church. And, and, and as, I, uh, as we do that, I want to invite uh, David Pope, Dr. David Pope actually, uh, who is engaged with uh, translating Bibles and is also kind of has a great pulse on what's going on with the persecuted church. So David, share us a little bit about that and lead us in prayer. Gladly. Uh, hey, everybody. I... Uh, spent uh, six Wednesday nights with many of you this past summer, and it's good to see you again. Uh, as I was struck by a couple of things as I looked at the list, first of all, uh, the fact that in that top ten list, I probably in the last 30 days have interacted with leaders from nine of those countries and uh, spoken in many cases directly with them. And then also uh, looking at the entire list, just being struck by the fact that, and I hope you're encouraged by this, the reason there's uh, persecution in these countries is there's believers in these countries. Amen? 
The body of Christ is there. So praise God for that. That ought to encourage all of us. Last week, uh, I shared with Pastor Mike, and I, I don't know if he ended up sharing it in second service, but uh, I'm connected to a ministry called Deaf Opportunity Outreach International. I'm on their board of directors, and they're trying to plant churches among the deaf. The deaf are the largest unreached people group on the face of the earth today. Uh, well over uh, probably 7 Point three million around the world, and they're unreached everywhere they're found. And they're trying to translate the Bible around uh, the world because that's how you, the deaf don't have the Bible. There's not even an American Sign Language Bible. So they were working in Sudan to, uh, to try to translate the Bible when they ran into some unrest among some of the deaf, unbelieving leadership of Sudan. And two of their workers were in prison last week. Uh, actually found out about it last Sunday and asked the church to pray. And so I wanted to report to you uh, just what they told us. Um, Lord answers the prayers of his people. Um, after a short appearance before a local magistrate, the pair of deaf leaders were released about after being a week in prison. Because of the region's instability and the insecurity caused by this situation, deaf staff were strongly encouraged by the leadership of the ministry to leave. This is what they told them. They said, it would be safer for you to return home. Your security cannot be guaranteed in Sudan. Their passports were given back to them uh, following the release from jail, so they had every ability to leave the country. However, at, these two leaders, after discussing it among themselves, decided to stay. And I share that with you because... It reminded me of, of Peter and John after uh, the second time they had been, before the persecution that broke out in Jerusalem, uh, after they had been in prison the second time and, and Gamaliel had stood up for them, but he suggested that they be flogged and released. And we pick it up in Acts chapter four, 5, verse 40, and he says, They took his advice, in other words, the Sanhedrin did, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. And so what do you think they did? Well, it tells us, verse 41, So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing. I like to think they were doing what? Jumping and skipping. They had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Right now today, millions of brothers and sisters in Christ are continuing to teach and preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what the, the prayer that they've given to me is. We've asked, how can we pray for you consistently across the board? They've always said this. They say, please, please tell the church, pray not that God would keep us safe. Rather pray that he would make us courageous. So let's pray for them. Dear Lord, we do not pray that you would keep any of us safe. Lord, we live in safety. We live in security. We don't wonder as uh, every Sunday morning, as in this Sunday morning on our way to church, we would be arrested for coming. But there are millions of brothers and sisters around the world that on the Lord's day cannot gather in public. So they gather in secret, and we lift them up to you. 
Lord, they want to be about your business. They're often encouraged by persecution because it means that the church is doing what it's supposed to do. They, in some cases, even lament the lack of because they've seen your power work through persecution. So, Lord, help us to to see things the way that you see them, not the way we see them. Help us to put on our eternal eyesight and understand that your kingdom is going to come and your kingdom is forever And let's lift up right now our brothers and sisters around the world, Lord. And we ask you not to keep them safe, but make them courageous. Proclaim the gospel through your church here and around the world for your glory until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, David. So I don't think we can get a better update than that, right? To know exactly what happened just this past week. A goal I have is just to clue us in, to have us an update, have us to understand this. So Jesus says the believer's response should, to insults, persecution, lies should be to what? Rejoice and be glad, to jump and skip with happy excitement. And we understand the reason for that, he says, is because your reward in heaven is great. But you might be like me and go, I'm still just trying to grasp and put my mind around why you put it that way, Jesus. How you can say that, which leads to my next question. How can Jesus say rejoice and be glad? How can Jesus say rejoice and be glad? We, we, we heard the statement. We, we can see the reasoning behind it. But at the end of the day, how can you say it still? And I submit it to you this way. Jesus can say this because he knows the reward of heaven. The reward of heaven will more than compensate for any suffering. A believer endures from living for Christ on earth. That's how he can say it. He understands. He knows that the, whatever we would endure, whatever the 100 million would endure, that what the reward in heaven being so great is, that it will more than compensate. It will more than be made up for enduring that, that heaven will be that great. Friends, there's a mystery here as I look at this. There's a mystery of joy in the midst of agony. There is a mystery of gladness in the midst of suffering and misery. There, this mystery, as I look at it, I, I believe it can only be derived from one thing. And that's what I call a miracle, the miracle of faith. And I call it the miracle of faith because it is God giving that believer the faith that miraculously they can endure what comes their way because of Christ. Faith in Jesus' promises is the bedrock assurance that heaven is paid back a hundredfold, if you will, for every act of persecution a believer endures. When I look at Matthew 19.29, I read this. Everyone who has left houses, this is Jesus speaking right here, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields, I think that covers it all, For my sake, Jesus says, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That's how Jesus can say this. That's how he can bring this to our attention. He can say it because he knows that the reward of heaven will more than compensate for any suffering, any persecution a believer endures from living for him on earth. 
I mean, during persecution requires faith. It requires great faith. And during persecution requires trusting Jesus' promise of a great reward. It requires faith. You know, the Bible says that which is not of faith is sin. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And with those truths in mind, I think that's what gave the martyrs like Roland Taylor and Nicholas Ridley and John Bradford the impulse to kiss the stakes with which they were burned. I believe it's what moved a martyr like Obadiah Holmes when after nearly 99 lashes on his back turned it to jelly to say to the magistrates, you have struck me with roses. It's got to be the miracle of faith. It's got to be an understanding that I'm going to endure this because of what Jesus says, that the reward is great. And I've got to believe that what Jesus is saying here, that it'll more than compensate, it'll more than be made up, a hundredfold, if you will, for whatever I would endure and encounter in living for Jesus. It was the reasonable faith of these men who believed that the reward of heaven and their blessings that comes with it was worth the insults, worth the persecution, worth the false claims made against them. Perhaps they had an understanding of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, this perspective of truth from Paul, of him saying, For our light and momentary troubles, such as persecution and lies and insults, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. These men understood persecution is temporary, but the kingdom of heaven is forever. It required them to have that perspective and help them have a perspective. They would have that kind of faith. It's why they could rejoice and be glad in the midst of persecution. It's why they, the persecuted church around the world can do the same today. So we've looked at three of these, uh, three of these uh, uh, questions. I've got two more for you. And these questions get a little bit more personal. So I invite you to let God work in your heart. Speaking of that, let me ask you, where is your heart today? Where is your heart today? Where is your interest? Is it earthly or is it heavenly? I think a clear implication from Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, is that Jesus wills for his disciples to desire the reward of heaven more than any reward, any blessing, any great benefit that you could have on this planet. Jesus wills for us to have our treasure in heaven and not on earth. That's why he says, if you look up on the screen, Matthew 6, 19 to 21, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, moth and rust destroy them and thieves break in and steal. Instead, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the key. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hence the question, where is your heart? Where is your interest? Is it earthly? Is it heavenly? It's a part of our heart at the end of the day. We have to go and search our heart. We have to allow God to work in there. Jesus wills for your heart to be set on heaven. And if you're leaving this earth as cause for rejoicing. You know, as you look at Paul, it's not without tears. I mean, Paul said himself, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Jesus, as he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane in the face of his own pain, did it for the joy set before him and endured the cross. Jesus wills for you to have your heart focused on heaven and your hope fixed on heaven. 
And what awaits you? What awaits me? I mean, how shall we rejoice and be glad when persecution comes into our life if we have not loved heaven more than whatever this earth could give us? So I ask you to examine where your heart is today. Where is your interest? Is it earthly? Is it heavenly? And the final question is this, when? When should you set your heart on heaven? How about today? How about right now? How about you do that? Starting today, make it a regular practice of your life to reflect on the prophets of old who were persecuted and killed for the cause of God and their lifelong pursuit of righteousness. Look back, if you have your Bible open, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. He, Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad in light of the persecution and insults and lies said about you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, here's it, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, there is a historical path, a journey of those living for Jesus that you can look back in through history and go, they've suffered for doing that. And my friends, it's probably not going to be a whole lot different for us. And so here we have this, uh, the, this truth reminding us. And, and I would say starting today, turn often to places like Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 to 37, where it says this. Others were tortured. This is the hall of fame of faith, right? Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. We've seen that, haven't we? They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Starting today, I encourage you to go often to these great men and women of old and feel the pulse of their heart. Put it in there and see, God, help me get a grasp of what they were going through and what it was like for them to follow you and what it is like for me. What do you want to teach me? Because I'm in this long history line, this long journey of others that have gone before me and they endured it. Help me to put my pulse, feel their pulse, put my finger on their pulse and feel that. Put yourself at the stake with them and learn how to love heaven more. Consider someone like Moses. In Hebrews eleven twenty six. it says that Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. His focus was heavenly, not earthly. He looked ahead to that. I want to invite you that starting today, you read the testimonies of those who have given their life for Christ. People like John Hooper, within three weeks before he was burned at the stake of England in 1555, he wrote these words. They're up on the screen. You must now turn all your thoughts from the pearl you see and mark the felicity that followeth the pearl. Beware of holding too much the felicity or misery of this world for the consideration and to earnestly love or fear either of them draweth from God. Starting today, I would invite you to turn to people like Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the famous Diedrich Bonhoeffer we've heard of as he left his prison room to the gallows in 1945, and he said this, This is the end, for me, the beginning of life. You know, what's interesting is 10 years later, the prison doctor of that camp that he was in, that location there for where Diedrich was, said these words in his journal. 
He said, at the place of execution, speaking of, of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, at the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. I want to invite you to turn your attention to people like Vanya Moisegev, the 20-year-old Baptist soldier in the Soviet Red Army who had been tortured for his faith over and over and over again until July 16, 1972. And it's on that day that torture took him to his death. What's interesting, by the sovereignty and hand of God, the day before, July 15, 1972, Vanya wrote these words to his brother, Vladimir. Look up on the screen. It says, don't tell our parents everything. Just tell them this. Vanya wrote me a letter and writes that Jesus Christ is going into battle. This is a Christian battle. And he doesn't know whether he will be back. You see, a guy like Vanya obeyed and believed in Revelation 2.10, but says, be faithful unto death. And I, Jesus, will give you the crown of life. Look to the prophets. Look to the martyrs. Look to the persecuted church and stand with them. Have your pulse on their hearts. Whatever you must do to get your heart focused on heaven and off this world, I would encourage you to do so. Should you face insults or persecution or false claims made against you because of your relationship with Christ, invite you to discover the mystery of the faith and rejoice and be glad to even jump and skip with happy excitement for great is your reward in heaven let's pray lord at this time on behalf of the persecuted church and behalf of us as saints as their brothers and sisters lord you are the alpha and omega the first and the last the beginning and the end Jesus, you tell us that you are coming soon and that your reward is coming with you and that you will give to everyone according to what they have done for you. Jesus, we pray, Maranatha, we pray, Lord, come quickly. We stand and we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ's suffering today. We ask that you would encourage them and empower them to endure in their faith in you, Jesus. We pray that you would empower us with an enduring faith in the midst of any persecution we encounter, God. We pray that you would help us to rejoice and be glad in that trial, knowing that your reward to us in heaven will be great. For I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.